0: quality sleep is essential for boosting energy recovery and well-being so take your sleep to the next level with sleep number Only at Sleep Number stores or SleepNumber.com.
1: Hello, and welcome to the New Statesman podcast. I'm Caroline Crampton, standing in for your regular host, Helen Lewis. On this week's episode, George Eaton, Stephen Bush, and Anusha Kellyan talk about Jeremy Corbyn's grassroots movement, Momentum, and then I talk to John Elledge and Barbara Speed about Donald Trump.
2: Hello, I'm Anusha Kellyan, Deputy Web Editor of the New Statesman, and I'm joined by Stephen Bush, our Staggers Editor, and George Eaton, our Politics Editor, to discuss the week in politics. Um, We thought this week that we would talk a little bit about momentum. Now, I'd like to explain what momentum uh, purports to be. It's the uh, successor campaign uh, movement to Jeremy Corbyn's leadership campaign, which is obviously very successful. Um, But George, what, what do people fear it is in the party?
0: so the fear is that it's a vehicle for deselection and to advance the very narrow interests of, of Corbyn's wing of the party. And so um, it was set up very soon after after Corbyn's victory and was, and was seen as a bid to, to consolidate his strength among the members um, as opposed, obviously, to that, uh, his weakness among um, MPs. And um, this week they've announced that um, they're not going to allow... Uh, members of other parties to attend their decision-making meetings. But the fact that they have been doing uh, so far has been a huge point of controversy because obviously uh, in the 1980s, Labour had huge problems with entryism through the group Militants. um, And the successor party to Militants, the Socialist Party, is one of the groups that's been involved in momentum and pushing for the deselection of MPs such as Stella Creasy and and Chukwu Amuna. Uh, And Deputy Leader Tom Watson's described them as as a rabble, Uh, Shadow Culture Secretary Michael Douglas said he thought rabble was far too polite a word for them, and so this has caused big divisions within uh, within Corbyn's shadow cabinet. And I think such is the mistrust and suspicion of Momentum now that it's going to be very difficult for it to present itself as, as a unifying force.
2: Okay, and of course, because Momentum um, celebrates itself as this all-inclusive grassroots campaign that's community organising from the bottom up, it's going to be controversial for the people who are its supporters if it starts restricting who can go to its meetings, isn't it,
3: Stephen? Yes, I mean, that is... The kind of perennial problem for the Labour Party, basically, since it was founded, is how do you police your leftward border, and indeed, whether or not you police it at all. Uh, Attlee, of course, expelled activists for being connected to communists, Trotskyists, including MPs, as did Neil Kinnock. Um, Blair and Brown didn't need to, because Kinnock had already expelled everyone. And then both the you know, both Miliband and Wilson, some people would argue, then effectively sort of left the door unlocked, and paved the way for versions of what we have now. Um, but of course, there are lots of people in the Labour Party, including people on what we'd regard as the right of the Labour Party, who have what you'd call the no-enemies-to-the-left attitude. Then basically the opponent is always the Conservatives, and then um, then things like the Socialist Party uh, or these other smaller groups are uh, are nothing to be worried about.
2: Yes, I've been speaking to some people from Left Unity um, this week, which was a socialist fringe party that started in 2013. So it's a very new group. It's not really associated with those crusty old uh, fringe organisations that that Momentum has been worried about this week. And they're actually quite disappointed that their members are no longer going to be allowed at some of these meetings. And they say that they've got a lot of experience to bring and that they've been enthusiastic about Momentum and they've celebrated Jeremy Corbyn's victory. And now they think that Momentum are sort of giving way to the right of the Labour Party. Um, George, do you think that kind of criticism is going to matter for the group? Um I don't think it's um I don't
0: think it would make it would make a huge amount of difference for for momentum because I think the the membership of these of groups such as Left Unity is 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 relatively small and so it's really of sort of symbolic importance. Mm-hmm. But um the defense that momentum activists themselves make is, you know, we sent up lots of coaches to the olden West by election, we helped get a, a Labour MP elected there. We're not interested in in deselection. But the problem is that you've got a clash between uh young activists who are who are genuinely motivated by wanting labor to succeed and then older figures from the 1980s such as John Landsman for instance who who was one of the, uh Tony Benn's uh campaign managers for his his deputy leadership election in 1981 who are unashamed supporters of mandatory reselection so the idea that all MPs should have to um face uh, a challenge before their um before they're readopted by their by their local constituency party and um, it's I think a big part of the problem is, 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 it, is it's unclear whether Corbyn and, and Macdonald um, entirely disapprove of this effort. So Jeremy Corbyn said soon after he became Labour leader, "I will not support mandatory reselection," um, uh, and as did as did John Macdonald. Um, but then MPs get nervous when they see Corbyn make comments such as, "There's no hiding place for those who voted in favour of Syria airstrikes," or when. MacDonald told uh, a Momentum meeting in in Lambeth the other week, um, "You will eventually get to select candidates who represent you," and so it seems to them as if um, as if Corbyn and MacDonald's language isn't entirely consistent. And so when they deny they're not interested in reselection, they they don't entirely believe them. I think that's the other problem because they feel as if when Momentum. Um, and groups associated with it launch deselection battles. They feel as if they may have the tacit support of the leadership.
3: Okay. And the problem with Momentum is they're a lot like an appendix. When they planned to set it up during the leadership election, the overall impression, and indeed the original intention of the Corbyn campaign, was to do well enough to have a seat at the table for um, what we used to call the hard left as opposed to the soft left of the Labour Party at the highest levels of the party. And so the idea of... Uh, and so if you signed up to any of the Corbyn stuff on the website, you had to tick a thing basically saying you were OK for your data to continue to be used by the Jeremy Corbyn Campaign Supporters Limited or whatever it was incorporated as the, as at the time. Um, because they had this idea that they would need this mail list as a tool for faction fights to come... Under under a Cooper or Burnham led Labour Party, and now it's it's sort of well, well they've achieved their plan A, which was to revitalise the Labour left. It's not really clear what it is momentum is for, other than there were some people who are young and enthusiastic on the Corbyn campaign, and some people who are old and uh, have a lot of grudges, and indeed some people who are young and hold a lot of grudges on the Corbyn campaign. And um, it's not really clear what Momentum's function is beyond giving those two groups of people something to do. Um, Because to be honest, there, there will be serious attempts to deselect MPs, but they will actually mainly be driven by groups, organized groups on the Labour left. Uh, than predate momentum, so it'll be the the l r c it'll be with little left wing grapuscules it 's not entirely clear where momentum fits into the labor ecosystem. I think liverpool's kind of the er uh, example where they are both being hammered on their right by people who remember militant and don't trust momentum, but they're also being hammered on their left by militant who are still around and a force within within in in liverpool so yeah it it's a bit strange they are an odd movement it's kind of difficult to see where they'll go next
2: so should um labor mps be scared of momentum is it a sinister movement or do we just not know yet
0: it's um too early to say i think but i think that's precisely the problem is that the fear is there and that creates um undoubted suspicion and we know that there are people within momentum who do want to deselect at labor mps the question is who will win that internal struggle within momentum um, and it's also true that um, with the boundary changes that are being introduced, a lot of Labour MPs are going to have to stand for, for selection. Um, and there are pre-existing means to, to deselect them through, what's, uh, through what are known as trigger ballots. And so this is going to be an issue. The, the question is um, to what extent Momentum is going to support attempts to, to deselect
2: MPs. OK, well, we'll keep an eye on Momentum for you. Thanks, George. And thanks, Stephen. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. And now it's time
1: for Stephen Bush's Joke of the Week.
3: Jeremy Corbyn came under fire towards the end of this week for jokingly quoting Enver Hoxha, uh, the uh, long-time dictator and commander-in-chief of Albania during its uh, time under communism, uh, in his Christmas address at the Christmas Party for Labour Party staff. Corbyn quipped, quoting Hoxha, who he described as a tough ruler, uh ...that uh, next year will be harder than this year. This caused a storm in Albania, among other places... ...where he is, according to one journalist from Albania... ...who spoke to me about it, kind of the equivalent... ...they said he's the Kim Jong-il of Europe. Uh, You know, they did not find it funny at all. However, some here in the British Labour Party... ...thought it was very funny indeed. With uh, one Corbyn ally quipping to me... ...I don't know why people are complaining about it. Enver Hoxha only killed 10,000 bourgeois social democrats... Jeremy's driven far more than that out of the Labour Party.
1: I'm Caroline and I'm Anna and
4: we host the New Statesman's pop culture podcast Seriously. This week we talked about horror parody show Scream Queens, the film of the Alan Bennett play Lady in the Van and 90s children's dog themed TV show Wishbone. You can find us at
1: newstatesman.com forward slash s-r-s-l-y or on iTunes or on the podcatcher of your choice. Well, I'm joined by John Ellidge and Barbara Speed and we're going to talk about duh, 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 Donald Trump. As you cannot fail to have heard in the last few days, Donald Trump has really broken out onto the world stage this week with his incredibly racist views about Muslims. But going back beyond that, he's been he's been saying terrible things for months now and yet he's still being considered in a lot of places as a serious contender for the uh, the Republican US presidential nomination. So, we're going to talk a bit about Donald Trump and all of the awfulness that he contains. So, Barbara, you've been kind of following this in a UK context because since his remarks about how all Muslims should get registered and be banned from re entering the country and all this kind of stuff, British people have been signing petitions against him, right?
4: Yeah, so there's a kind of fairly official, funnily enough, uh, petition which is to ban Donald Trump himself from entering the UK. Um, which is obviously funny because it's a reversal of what he's trying to do um, with Muslims in the US. Uh, but this has actually reached now, I think, about 370,000 signatures, and a uh, hundred thousand signatures is the point at which a petition can be considered to be debated in Parliament itself. Because this was done through be, the
1: Parliament website, wasn't it, it was, yeah. The so, yeah, mechanism, yeah, and
4: it was started by just a woman from Aberdeen, but who has she's campaigned against Trump's hate speech before. And although it sounds ridiculous, there is a history in the UK of. Uh, not allowing people entry because of their hate speech and their views so it's actually not as mad as it sounds and Trump himself is actually meant to be coming to Britain in the summer to open up a golf course Um, so in fact if this petition is debated in parliament and this rule is passed there's a chance that he could not come. I saw
1: Tulip Sadiq the um, MP making a similar point on Channel 4 News where she was saying that you know after 7-7 we banned lots of islamic hate preachers for exactly this reason because the things they said don't conform with the way we as british people want to live our lives and we consider them to be a threat
4: so she was saying i really don't see how this is different yeah and i think that the the danger is that people would say well you're being just as bad as him but in fact the problem with his policy is that he's doing this based solely on religion and or race which is the which is not acceptable at all whereas if you if he were to say we want to ban x number of people based on their expressed Extremism. extremist views yeah. then that would be a completely different kettle of fish
1: and and also there's a kind of so the person they had up against tulip was um nick ferrari from lbc and he was doing that what i think of like the classic white man argument mm. about how you know uh it would be just as bad to ban donald trump for his views as for you know the things he's actually expressing i don't agree with him but we should allow him to come here and make his argument and then defeat him with our superior logic and i just think that's fine for you to say, Nick Ferrari, mm. how would a Muslim feel? Yeah. Very, very threatened and uncomfortable, I'm sure. But also, we don't take that attack. No, we, we don't take that attack
4: with extremists. Mm. Like, extremist views, including Trump's, spread because you allow them to. And if you think that we're just much cleverer than people in the past and can therefore... Because people don't have time. It, they shouldn't have to sit around listening to people and then looking up whether they're right or wrong. I think there's an extent to which when someone's saying hate speech you just shut them down because it's not worth it
1: Well, it sort of is it feeds into the the sort of idea of microaggressions when it comes to racism that yes you can triumph against all of these minor things but they build up to a broader whole and you're also having to expend a lot of your time and energy mm. on proving your view to be the superior one when you just shouldn't have to we should also talk a little bit i think about Trump in the kind of American political context. Uh, John, I know you, like me, are a a staunch fan of the West Wing, so obviously are very well informed about American politics. Um, Fictitious. Fictitious American 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 politics, Politics, but I I feel like this qualifies us a lot to talk about Donald Trump.
5: Absolutely.
1: Because there is, or at least there has been until perhaps this week, this idea that Donald Trump is a kind of fictitious figure. He couldn't possibly be real, right?
5: So there was a, a great onion story this week, which sort of sums up the mood for me, I think, which was headlined something like, increasingly nervous man says that Trump can't possibly win the nomination. Um, <laughs> and that that does seem to sum up the term. People keep saying, oh, well, after this, he must be finished. But his, his poll ratings continue to go up. Um,
4: and he's leading, right?
5: He, he yeah. is leading he- the polls. I mean, I think like the, the next thing We're going to hear is that like if he wins the nomination, we're going to get a lot of people saying, Oh, well, he can't possibly beat the Democrats.
1: Yeah, that's exactly it.
5: um But I think everyone's starting to get a little bit nervous about that as well. I think what's really frightening is quite how receptive people are proving to this kind of it is proto fascist rhetoric this kind of idea that you know, all our people are a little bit sort of nervous about the state of the world, they're frightened about their futures. And they're very open to the idea of blaming all of that on somebody else.
1: Yeah, on a single, like Barbara was saying, a single external group of people defined entirely by race or religion, with no critical analysis applied to whether that's remotely reasonable.
5: Yeah, I mean, I think there is something, in a terrifying way, there is something comforting about the idea that all your problems are somebody else's doing. And if we could just deal with this one problem... If we just come up with some kind of solution for this one problem, um, then then everything will be fine. And it's complete nonsense, but frightened people will buy into this stuff.
1: And even more so, um, I've become kind of obsessed with all of the sort of um, over the last few months of stories about ISIS and terrorism stuff, about how interested we are in removing rationality from the discussion. So we don't want to believe that the Paris attackers just did it because they really believed it was the right thing to do we we want to believe that they were really high on drugs and that's why they behaved the way they did same goes for that attacking that tourist resort in tunisia um all the tabloids were very keen to report how the guy was off his face on drugs and that's why he did this terribly barbarous thing not because he rationally decided that was a good idea and i feel like there's something of that at play as well that if you believe that all, as Donald Trump is suggesting, that all Muslims are awful and should be banned from your country, it's because of their religion. It's not because they, as rational beings, have decided this. It's some, some kind of external faith-based factor. Um, so you can remove the humanity from them and their motivations. But you're you're absolutely right about this creeping fascism, and I do think fascism is the right word for it. It might be considered a bit overblown by some, but I don't think it
5: is. No, I, I don't think it is either. I think one of the... <laughs> one of the problems we have with dialogue and discussion around this is that because we have this vision of nazis as this kind of sort of you know, this this sort of view evil people in, in in shiny uniforms we've kind of othered that as well like mm. the, the nazism is something external it's something you have to fight mm. whereas actually these instincts are kind of i i have a horrible feeling these instincts in some form are in all of us we're all capable of being Frightened and sort of led by our sort of reptile hind brains to to do horrible things to other groups of people as a self defense mechanism, so you know the people in in Germany in the early nineteen thirties did not think they were part of a a movement that would come to be seen as evil; they thought they were defending their country, and you know I think a lot of the rhetoric we're hearing at the moment comes from the same place, but because we think of Nazism as something that happened in a particular time in a particular place. We have no language to talk about that.
4: Mm. But also, I mean, that's why the argument that, oh, we'll just discuss it with them and then we'll all come to an agreement kind of doesn't really make sense. Because, again, people in Nazi Germany did think they were being rational. And then they, and the the entire country kind of decided that this was an acceptable thing to do. And I think the really worrying thing is the fact that it obviously has convinced people. So around two thirds of people who are likely to vote Republican agree with Trump's proposal. Bloomberg did a poll about this, and also Bloomberg then tried to explain to these people the two sides of the argument, which reduced the numbers by one percent. One percent. So actually, all? I don't think that it's fair to say that you just let people rant and rave and be racist, and then expect everyone to realize it's wrong sometimes you just need to know something's wrong and to kind of stop people thinking about it and so around 20 percent of democrats agreed with the proposal which meant that overall about 37 percent of americans who were polled in this survey believe that muslims should be banned from entering the u.s
1: which is just awful awful and really really shocking because i know we we think we feel like we know that america that this the political center in america is right of where the political centre is here. Because, you know, for instance, two two of our right-wing politicians, David Cameron and Boris Johnson, have come out very strongly condemning Trump's comments. You know, mm. no equivocation on their part. Just, this is wrong. You shouldn't
4: say that. Yeah. You can't say that. Whereas, that's just not <laughs> the case in America. I mean, they've just frightened. I mean, after... The Paris attacks, apparently the mood in the US was incredibly terrified. People wouldn't say the word ISIS. There was it, Everything wow. was shut down in a way that I wouldn't say it was here in Europe. And perhaps it's to do with 9-11, perhaps it's to do with the national kind of take on things. So in a weird kind of way, I think the US is actually the perfect ground for extremism of this kind to breed. Because ex- these are extreme views of a different kind. But that's basically what it is, that Trump is preying on people's fear in order to implant very extreme racist ideas
5: that said i do feel very strongly that the ukip tendency in british politics at the moment comes from the exact same yeah it does yeah
4: and ukip voters are very in favor of this proposal (laughs) and and
5: nigel farage has has come out and not condemn this so Mm. you know it's not like our hands are clean here guys
1: yes fair enough (laughs) thanks very much john and barbara You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast, presented by me, Helen Lewis, and produced by Anna Leskowitz. You can find us every week at newstatesman.com forward slash podcast or on iTunes. Our theme music is Devil with the Devil by the Underscore Orchestra, licensed under Creative Commons.
3: There is this big space of ungoverned disorder where nothing is being done and we're just kind of holding up our hands and going, well, don't know what we could do. I'm Jason Pack.
1: And I'm Alex Hall Hall.
3: And we're the hosts of Disorder,
1: a brand new podcast from
4: Goalhanger, where we'll be connecting the dots using our own experiences, as well as talking to people at the forefront of global affairs. All seeking to work out.
0: Why are the world powers no longer coordinating as they once did?
3: The trouble is the United States, but also some European
5: societies, are so divided.
2: How did we get here? The modern version of the culture war in which the fight that matters is not the real one. It's about winning certain kinds of arguments online.
3: What can we do to fix it? How do you repair disorder? It's by becoming a community. Search Disorder
0: wherever you get your podcasts.